And there's no way that you can treat just ideological trauma with a pill. The response to ideological trauma is community, is experiences of being seen, known, and loved. And that can provide such a deep healing. That was Dr. Melody Hayes as we opened our dialogue as part of discussing race, privilege, and psychedelic medicine. Welcome to Voices of Esalen, I'm Sam Stern. I want to say by way of introduction that I and all of the other members of the small team who produce Voices of Esalen are dedicated to diversifying the voices who represent our show. We're making a purposeful stance at this moment to dedicate a significant portion of upcoming programming to exploring issues of systemic racism, power, and entrenched privilege with the goal of cultural healing and cross-cultural understanding. To this end, you will hear more from people of color, particularly black speakers and leaders. My guest today, Dr. Melody Hayes, is a physician, writer, speaker, spiritual teacher, and the executive director of Ceremony Health, a faith-based psychedelic healing center. Dr. Hayes was treated medically with psychedelic medicine for physician burnout, which made her aware of the power of psychedelics. She is a graduate of Harvard University and UCSF Medical School and Anesthesiology Residency, a John Kenneth Galbraith Scholar, and a Voices of Our Nation alumni. Together, we discussed her path, her dreams for the future, whether psychedelics can cure racism, and the power of community and love. Dr. Melody Hayes, thank you so much for joining us on Voices of Esalen today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Oh, that's terrific. I thought we could start off our interview by just getting to know a little bit about you and who you are. So I was hoping you could tell me about you as a kid. Who were you? Oh, my God. I'm a dreamer. I think me as a kid. Wow. Uh, that's such a that's such an interesting way to enter into the conversation. I think one of the things that came up for me is being in a backyard, summer in Southern California in a backyard, and I had taken avocado leaves and woven them together as this, I was always just doing random artwork, and my dad was just so impressed and proud of me because he's also an artist and has the spirit of an artist, and just he was just so uh, impressed by my spontaneous creations. And so I would say I'm a creator. I'm a, I'm a creator, yeah. Well, tell, me, tell me about your dad. What, what was he like, or what is he like? Oh, my dad is an amazing man. Okay, so I know most people do not understand this because people think time has changed, but my dad kind of grew up in, like, the color purple. So he's from a rural small town, Mississippi, grew up picking cotton, which most of my family grew up, um, still just a generation ago, grew up picking cotton. Even my, my nephew, who works, you know, he was still pink cotton with tractors, you know, so small town Mississippi, and my father just was really ambitious, ambitious and had a vision. Grandma, my, his mother had dropped out of school at fourth grade and said, you know, you don't have to go any further than I went, but he was like, no, that's not, that's not, that's not what's in my future, so he, you know, got us out of Mississippi, um, migrated to California been in night classes, uh, has run his own construction business, works as a carpenter, and really has been a powerful force behind my own achievements. Um, I, myself having, um, we grew up in Compton um, and, you know, went on to Harvard and now 
um, in the medical school at UCSF and becoming an anesthesiologist. And now I am really honored to be in a position to bring psychedelic healing to the nation through my work with Ceremony Health and really just a really exciting opportunity. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that is so interesting. Talk to me about Ceremony Health. What is it? Ceremony Health is a nonprofit psychedelic medicine clinic, and we see ourselves as the St. Jude of um, emotional care. St. Jude is a hospital for uh, pediatric cancer patients, and when you are sick, you don't have to think about the cost of your care. And in the future, uh, Ceremony Health will be that place where if you are experiencing anxiety, depression, PTSD, race-related trauma, end-of-life um, anxiety, or addiction, um, it can be a place that can come and receive psychedelic care. Right now, we're located in Berkeley. We have a group therapy treatment model, and we really uh, holistically care for the whole patient. We encourage an involvement in our community because we know that community is medicine. Um, we provide neuroplasticity and treatment with ketamine, which can really reset the mind and the spirit. And we access your own spirituality by involving you in traditional rituals that can remind you of your own ability to heal and be whole. Tell me a little bit about the, the ritual. So we have amazingly trained um, CIIS therapists, and CIS is the California Institute of Integral Studies, and it's the only institute that has uh, training for people to understand how to be psychedelic therapists. And so our psychedelic therapists have gone, undergone a rigorous training program. And the ritual is to access the universal rich, rituals of coming together, being together mindfully, and calling on our ancestors, calling on divine guidance that can help us access healing not just on this plane and not just for this generation, but healing that comes from beyond and that can go through all generations. It's interesting, I'm picking up, and it's interesting that you mentioned sort of like holistic care for the, for the whole person, as well as uh, earlier when you're talking about the things that people might suffer from, including PTSD, you mentioned race-related trauma. It's cool because this is a moment within our culture where I think social issues are being brought into the, to the holistic picture. Mm. I really love that you uh, bring this question up because I've, I've healed so much and as I talk so lovingly and affectionately of my, of my father, there was really a journey that I had to go to to get there and a journey that wasn't helped by traditional therapy because traditional therapy is generally from a white middle class lens and it didn't actually address issues of class, didn't actually address issues of race. And so the appreciation and love, um, just immense gratitude that I have for my father, that story um, became available to me not through traditional therapy and not through antidepressants, but through my own spiritual journey. And why I bring this up is because I believe that sometimes we're treating people with this biomedical monoamine deficiency, the theory of depression or anxiety, and really they're actually experiencing cultural trauma or gender trauma. And so, you know, when I look at my experience of treating transgender patients and the number of antidepressants that they've been on and the number of suicide attempts that they've had, and there's no way that you can treat just ideological trauma with a pill. The response to ideological trauma is community, is experiences of being seen, known, and loved. 
And that can provide such a deep healing. And so when we're in this conversation talking about race-related trauma, and I really would like to have us to open our minds and hope that we are all affected by race-related trauma, even if you are on the outside of the cage, if you are holding someone within a prison, you are part of that system, that it is a part of perpetuating trauma. And so how can we start a dialogue where we can liberate white people from their race-related trauma as well as people of color from the trauma of being perceived as other, um, being perceived as the stories that are told for you are ones of marginalization and oppression versus of liberation, possibility, and incredible creativity. So, yes, it's a really amazing time to be um, in the field of medicine that is changing minds. So it's, it's, really, it's really great. Oh, my God. So, so beautifully put. Yeah, one of the insights that I've received during this last week is that privilege is also limitation. Talk to me about why, talk to me about ketamine. And why is ketamine helpful within a, a psychological framework? Well, ketamine is a non-traditional anesthetic which means it's a dissociative anesthetic, uh, and it provides people with this profound reset button. So I'm just going to talk, I'll just talk basically from the place of clinical medicine. As an anesthesiologist, I want ketamine in my repertoire of medications. If I have a patient with, with chronic pain um, and I'm running an anesthetic, I can decrease their need for opioid requirements when they recovery, when they recover. For people with neuropathic pain, which is, can be this just pernicious form of pain, it's profoundly effective, effective for neuropathic pain. And in the realm of psychedelic care, it is one of the only legal medications that also um, occasions hallucinatory psychedelic experiences. In that regard, it provides real relief from PTSD, from trauma, from depression and anxiety. And for people who are experiencing suicidal ideation, it can be an immediate release from those thoughts. And this is quite different from the traditional model of treating depression because, um, you know, the idea of you have to take an SSRI and it takes, you know, six weeks, but really immediate effective relief. And so it's a profoundly powerful medication and it's being used as the, only, the first legally available psychedelic as we wait for things like psilocybin and MDMA to become FDA approved. Yeah, with psilocybin and MDMA, the experience can range from four to eight hours or, or even longer. What is the traditional onset of a, a ketamine experience you know, as one would experience it within your clinic? So the onset can be within 20 minutes at the most if you're taking a lozenge. Uh, if we're doing IM, it can be 5 to 10 minutes. And the duration of action, it, this journey, this experience can um, take about two hours kind of to go into it and, and fully emerge from it. Is there an element of, I know within psychedelic psychotherapy like the MDMA therapy, there's lots of talking. Uh, that can go on during, not not for the whole experience, but during the course of it. Does the client and the practitioner, do they dialogue with a ketamine experience? Well, that's really up to the parameters of the therapist and the client. Really, there is an invitation to dive inward. There's eye shields on. There's music playing so that you can be on the journey with your own experience. But of course, the therapists are there by your side. If you if anything's coming up that you want to vocalize or that you want to process, they are they are they are available and available for you. 
However, there is a further process once people emerge of, of integration you know, after the experience. But the experience itself is something that we want people to dive in completely um, and to trust their own endogenous healing mechanisms that are present and available for them. In your opinion, why do you think that ketamine has had success in becoming fully legal where the, the other substances such as psilocybin have taken a, a lot longer? Well, ketamine has, has a long uh, use history and it's one of the World Health Organization's like high-priority medications because it is such a safe anesthetic. It's been used in the field. It's hemodynamically stable. It's um, used frequently in pediatric patients. And it's not a question of why ketamine has become legal. It's rather ketamine is legal. It has psychedelic properties. And therefore, we're using this in psychedelic medicine clinics as we await things like psilocybin that can become available. Really, there, there was just already an evidentiary trail for ketamine being a safe anesthetic, and therefore it was brought into uh, use at, for psychedelic care. And for the other medications, we're still, um, Johns Hopkins, Compass, are just still doing diligent work to make these medications available. This is, I mean, it's such an exciting moment and the the amount of progress that moves forward it's always incremental and it's uh it's it's really the product of of so many people going out and doing the work so i, I just want to thank you so much for creating this this clinic and being a trailblazer i think i it's it's really my privilege to serve it is such when you've experienced a family member or someone who's suffering from um, anxiety or depression or PTSD, to be able to offer um, healing and liberation and, and for some people cure, is such an honor. It's, it, um, it's, you know, it gets me up every day, and I'm really uh, excited about the people who I've, uh, I, I've attracted to support the vision and support this service. And so there's so many things that we are excited about bringing to, bringing to the world. Is, is part of your mission bringing uh, psychedelic healing to a community of, of persons of color? Well, I wanted to ask, you know, is, is there a, a shadow within the, the psychedelic community of, of lack of, of significant diversity? So I would say that I'm going to be in my spirit, and my spirit calls things into being. Um, and what I know is that uh, I was the only person of color at this Esalon Psychedelic Integration Conference. And I was there because spiritually the community is ready to have people who look like me join them. And maybe in the past that wasn't the case, but I was there because the only way you can be, it reminds me of, um, I think it was called The Lost Boys. It was a vampire movie, and it was like, you know, the vampire can only be in your house if you invite them in. And um, I'm, I'm a, definitely an angel, but I can only be in your house <laughs> if you invite <laughs> me in. Um, I can only be in your house if you invite me in. And so there's, there's people, the fact that I'm there at Esalon and that I'm welcome and that I'm invited back um, means that the psychedelic community is ready to become the colors of the rainbow, really ready to become the colors of the rainbow. And at the psychedelic uh, integration conference there, we created more space while I was there for women to speak, for issues of diversity um, to be addressed. And so I do not 
uh, hold people to the standard of the past. I really focus on the vision for the future. And I know the vision for the future is that we are going to create integration, health, and wholeness for all people. And my focus is about integration. And this is a very important topic um, because, you know, as we're watching the news right now, we haven't done the work post-reconstruction, post-civil rights, we have not done the work to hold everyone as lovely, to hold every person as precious. It's a wonderful place to be right now. We're, we're vulnerable. Um, COVID has us vulnerable. And we're changing the world. We're changing the ideas of what our nation should be. And so I'm very happy to be a part of this, to talk about how do we make experiences of liberation and love available for all people because you know I care I just like I care about the broken hearts of all people right and there's no particular person or level of privilege that can make you outside the boundaries of my love and that's the standard that I want the whole community to have so how do we create spaces that can hold all people how do we create how do we just re- create liberation and peace for all people and so I definitely do have a um, place in my heart for communities of color. But, you know, I was raised in such a way that I didn't, it's foreign to me to think that I'm supposed to have a boundary on who I'm supposed to love. And so the world was confusing to me because I think that, like, I would be checked, you know, kind of at the door. And I'm like, what's going on? And it, I, it didn't compute because I'm like, I just have always, I mean, I'm a physician. I'm a writer. Uh, I just, I love everyone's story. And I've just been in love with the human experience. And so, you know, through my travels in China, speaking Mandarin, um, dancing Bhangra, speaking Spanish, you know, I just think that I'm here to be able to love all people and serve all people. And I'm just like, can we make that the standard that we all hold, <laughs> that we all mm-hmm. hold? And so we are no longer able to privilege our comfort, our convenience, and we need to be more comfortable being uncomfortable. Right. And we actually have to address how traditional psychiatry has been a part of the perpetuation of racism, as it has been a part of of the perpetuation of sexism, hysteria, you know, the history of hysteria and women's experiences being labeled as a a non-normative form of consciousness, right? And when they're seeing truth, they're feeling their exploitation, they're feeling their vulnerability, and they're feeling that anxiety of having less power in this society, right? And then for black men, you know, their social protests, their, their righteous anger being labeled as schizophrenia. And so we have to understand that we're at the place where we're going to bring in everyone's reality, everyone's experience, and not marginalize and say, okay, this pain that you're feeling is real. This ease is in our society. The social violence is there. And so how am I going to create spaces that can hold, that are more safe, and also can hold you while you heal? Do you hold optimism for the practice of psychedelic medicine in creating some of these cultural changes and cultural healing within our society? I hold hope in communities that are centered in love. And some of the communities that I'm part of that are centered in love are psychedelic communities. And why I say this is that it is very important to focus um, on the society systems and communities that we live in 
instead of actually being in a belief that a pill or a substance can change the world. It's really, it's really people organized together, aligned, aligned in love that will change things. And there are people within, a, within the psychedelic community that are, organized, that are organized together and aligned with love. And there's people within black communities or people within white communities who are organized together and aligned with love. And so the hope that I have is that is the hope that I've seen um, come to fruition, you know, as the protests have inspired a change in consciousness. Protests have changed consciousness, right? So Mississippi mm. has changed its flag. And so the hope that I have is that people coming together with causes that are aligned by love will change. And yes, psychedelic medicine is a part of that, but please, I want to change the world. I don't want to offer a pill. I want to change the world. I don't want to just palliate with a medication, right? I'm telling you, I can do with a social process what people are seeking with, with, with pharmacology. And yes, pharmacology is important when you're broken, but there's other work that needs to happen that is just being in relationship vulnerably, honestly, and having your heart open to offer heart, receive heart, so that you can be present to heal and to offer healing to other people. You know, when I look at the work that I'm doing, um, this work is created in Plum Village with Israelis and Palestinians with Thich Nhat Hanh. You know, there's no substance besides the, the mindful choice to be present with your open heart, right, in, in meditation, right, the choice to be in community. So whatever your process, you know, whatever your process, is it social justice work? Is it truth and reconciliation? Is it psychedelic medicine and being in community and being vulnerable? Is it creating organizations that look like all people? Whatever your process is, it, it can be a part of your healing journey. Right, yes. I want to I ask you, I don't know if, if, this will, if this is the logical next question, but what do you think are the impediments to understanding that first come up for a listenership or an audience that might not fully apprehend their own privilege within a culture built around systemic racism? I'm going to – my metaphor is that – so for people <laughs> who want to wake up to the level of privilege that they're living in, uh, I think the best entry into that is to read the short story to Lottery. It is a profound and gripping short story, but I actually think it's very revelatory. Of sometimes we're existing in a state of peace that is based on the violence and subjugation of someone, someone else, right? Sometimes we're ex existing in a state of abundance that's based on the exploitation of other people. And the system really works to make invisible those exploitations of other populations. I just want to take the example of we have seen, you know, I grew up, there's places, I grew up in Long Beach, which has a high level of policing. And I cannot drive my car in Long Beach without being stopped frequently. And I'm just like, I will be in San Francisco and I don't get stopped and I'll go to Long Beach and I get stopped. And such a higher level of police sur surveillance means there is a higher level of incidences involving police that leads to incarceration, 
and a higher level of imprisonment. And our prisons are actually profit centers for people. This incarceration, the, the rates of incarceration, is not benign. How do I explain this? How do I, how do I say this? What I'm saying is that the shadow, this aspect of life that you feel doesn't involve you, it's intimately woven into your existence because people are making profit off of brown bodies being incarcerated, right? Mm. And even the systems that we live in of language where someone is called white and someone is called black, those systems were created to give white people, working class white people, a sense of superiority by creating black as an inferior status. Right? And so even the language that you're wrapped in, that is a legacy of privilege because the language was literally created to give whiteness a sense of superiority and to demean blackness. And so the consciousness that pe the reality that people are living in is so invisibly ordered to create peace and privilege for people who were positioned to decide what language was going to mean or decide, you know, decide the hierarchy of these systems. To wake up, you know, one person was saying to me, oh, isn't it unfortunate to provide people of color with a psychedelic experience just to send them back to their, in their environments that are affected by violence, that are affected by, you know, class inequality? And I said to them, is it okay for white people to um, have a psychedelic, psychedelic experience and then go back to, into white supremacy. So the idea that I kind of experience places of privilege as the Stepford wife life that is still extracting, is still creating a, a space where you cannot perceive yourself fully. Because if you can't perceive other people in their humanity, you're not perceiving yourself fully either. It's a process to wake up to what you've been reconciled with. You know, when we look at the footage of, um, and this like uh, hurts my heart when I think about it, and just like when we look at the footage of that older gentleman, or older man who I believe was about 75, who was shoved viciously by the police, and the outcry on that, right? And we have bone-thin, frail black women being shoved viciously by the police, right? That should hurt our hurt our system as much to witness as it is to witness a 75-year-old man being pushed down. And if our systems are not shocked by a woman being shoved, then how are we de desensitized to violence against its population, right? Mm. If we're not just, oh, my God, this can never happen again, that means that you are complicit with this standard. If you haven't, you know, that means you're complicit with this standard. And so what's going on that that doesn't, sh that, that doesn't shock you or move you, you know? COVID is really, I was, I was in a very spiritual space, and I was just like, you know what? Um, COVID is just really an invitation to change the world. And I don't, and we actually are seeing that the nation's most, you know, adversely affected by COVID. I was reading about Chile just the other day about how class inequality is really intimately linked with 
the public health response and the rates of um, infection. Um, Brazil being another place. We really have to use this opportunity where we've slowed down, where we've paused to really invite thoughts about how do we want to create our new reality? What is the new world that we want to live in? Because the illness is going into all the places where we should kind of be ashamed, you know, like where there's places where we need to heal. Um, prisons are being affected. Our nursing homes are being affected. And we need to do a better job of how we care for our elderly. And this is just an opportunity. I experience this as an opportunity to change the world and walk into a new reality because the world that we once was in has been destroyed and we are in a place of Kali destruction and we are walking into a new reality and we can be so deliberate in this creation this time, not being acquiesced to the historical standards of the past because the historical standards of the past were racist. They were sexist. They were genderist. Um, we can be so deliberate about what do we want to create. And for me, it's one of them is just universal health care. I mean, we're just seeing just our just physical vulnerability and how is this not a cry for understanding that your health is my health, right? We're connected. So if you are, you are healthier, our whole system is healthier. So a cry for universal health care, you know, a cry for a living wage. This is really an opportunity to be deliberate about what we're creating going forward. So, so beautifully put. So much there. I want to ask you kind of an oversimplified question and see if you want to do something with it. If not, you can bat it back towards mm -hmm. me. But can psychedelics help us grapple with or overcome racism? Okay. That is such a I'm sorry, I'm going to pause on this because this is a very, 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 very challenging question. So, mm -hmm. after Jack Cornfield says, after the ecstasy to laundry, right? So that means that you have this experience and you know that we are one and all is love and I am just this energy current and all is well, right? You just, you just, you know, you, you had your medically provided ketamine and you, you, you woke up and you were like, we are, we are one. And you know this, that we're one. And you know that there's no male, there's no female, there's no American, there's no Mexican. You know this. We are just connected as one. So how are you going to live that? How are you going to live that? So after the ecstasy, the laundry. So what's your laundry, right? And so I look at this as are you willing to show up to do the work? And within all my relationships, I make sure that I'm willing to show up to do the work. And so – you know, last year was the first year. I mean, I don't know how long Esalon psychedelic integration has been happening. But I, you know, I was invited last year to that conference. And so I'm also invited to speak at, um, at the consciousness uh, conference that's been happening since 1994 um, this year. And, and that's in, in Arizona. And that invitation to speak, you know, that's not because people have done psychedelic substances. It's because really we're living in a new, in a new consciousness right now. We're living in a new society where if you have panels where 
women and people of color are not present, we're wondering about your level of consciousness. And so, no, psychedelics will not cure racism, but relationships will. <laughs> it's all about relationships. This is not about never, never take a pill and assume it's gonna, or, or do a substance and assume it's gonna solve your problems. It's about relationships. It's about mm-hmm. having open and honest and vulnerable conversations, and you know, expressing your fears and asking to be held and like. It's about coming together in community. It's never about a substance. A substance can make you soft enough that you can see that you want to do some work, that you can see, oh, my God, I've been acting this out for a while, and I have a new choice. It can show you that you have a new choice, but then it's up to you to exercise that choice. So will psychedelics, like, cure racism? No. But we can. <laughs> but relationships can. But public policy can. Systems of care can. And so, no, I'm, I'm not a naive idealist, although I am a strategic idealist. And so do I want people of color to experience liberation as possible through psychedelics? Yes. You know why? Because I want us to have experiences of peace and joy that maybe some of us have forgotten or maybe never even experienced. And from those experiences of peace, love, and joy, I want us to create freedom inwardly and outwardly for ourselves. My food tastes better if, if I can have someone to eat it with me. And so if I've cooked something, I'm like, I wish someone was here so they could eat it with me because then what I taste would actually taste better. And so for me, my liberty, my joy tastes better when other people can share it as well. Do you know that there's a level at which, and this is, you know, there's evidence about this, social inequality creates anxiety, creates mental illness, you know? And so as we create more equality, we create more peace for people. As you remove, you know, my brother from the container of being someone to be feared, you are actually creating more peace for yourself when you're walking down the street. And so as we create equality and as we remove each other from these categories of other, categories of who is to be feared, the categories who is a threat, really what our handheld videos are making plain is that I believe that black people have been used to be the shadow, to be the whipping, whipping boy within society for many, many years. But really, violence is organized within, within the institution, and really, it's the systems of violence that, have all, that we have always been living in fear of. And so as we can change these systems and release each other from these projections, release each other from these expectations, and actually create it's as simple as goodwill. And goodwill is actually, it's a commitment. Love is a commitment. You know, King said, you know, I tried hate, but I'm going to stick with love because hate is too much of a burden to bear, you know. But that's a commitment to stay in love. Oh, my God, it's such a commitment to stay in love. No, I'm not going to doubt this moment. It feels rough, rough. My heart's going to stay open. I'm going to stay in love. I'm going to stay with you in love. But you know what? It hurts me when I close my heart to the opportunity to love. Far more than it hurts you, it hurts me. Mm. So 
that's that went a long way, but no, psychedelics will not cure racism, but we will. <laughs> well, Dr. Melody Hayes, this discussion has been so profound and so steeped in wisdom. I want to kind of close it by asking you, what do the next five years look like for you uh, professionally? Not just professionally, but your goals for yourself holistically and, and for your society. I'm honored to be a part of a conversation about what we're becoming. I am so ec- ecstatic that we are being honest about what we've been. Um, but I'm also really privileged to be a part of the conversation about what we are going to become. And that means that I am freed from the expectation of the past and just so deliberate about visioning where we're going to go from here. And as a healthcare provider, I am in a position to, there are companies that are tapping me on the shoulder to be involved with drug development that's um, for psychedelics um, and ritual development for communities of color so that we can um, heal. There's one thing, it's one thing to create a, a world that is more just and fair, but the work will not be done until you can release people from the trauma that's stored in their body so they can actually be full participants in that more free world. So we are creating more justice. We are creating more peace. We are creating conversations that are truthful and will reconcile us to the history of violence and racism in this country. At the same time, we, I professionally am creating pathways through drug development and through um, development of clinics um, such that we can actually liberate people from the trauma that's stored in their body because that trauma could pinion them to the past more than keep their eyes open to the possibility of the future. And so by offering people liberation and release in their body, really, and you look at the, um, the work uh, of early adverse childhood events and how those set people up for anxiety, depression, coronary artery disease, and cancer, to create health, you actually have to treat the trauma. And psychedelics, are the only thing that is positioned to actually treat the trauma. So when we change the world, we heal the trauma, we can actually truly have people be free, free from thoughts that they are black, free from thoughts that they are white, so that we can actually create the world that we, we our hearts would imagine, that love would dream of. So that is the next five years of my life, what I'm committed to, what I've been called to. And I am joyfully here to serve and so supported, so, so supported. I've, everything's been provided for and things are coming to me so easily in this arena. And I just feel, I, I, I could get up and dance. Um, I dance samba, so it would be a joyful dance. So I could just dance with joy at the thought of um, what we are creating, you know, the world has changed. We are in a new reality, and um, I'm I'm just feeling excitement about that. Mm. And how can our audience find out more about you and more about Ceremony Health? They can go to MelodyHayes.com. That's M-E-L-L-O-D-Y-H-A-Y-E-S. That's two L's in Melody. Um, dot com to learn more about me and my work and my teaching and my writings. They can go to ceremonyhealth.org. 
That's CeremonyHealth.org. If you, a family member, someone you love, someone who you don't know yet to love, needs healing to be held and to be supported, please go to CeremonyHealth.com, and we are here to serve and support you. Dr. Melody Hayes, thank you so much for talking to me, and thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's been delightful. Thank you so much. That was Dr. Melody Hayes. If you are able, please make a donation to support Dr. Hayes' good work at Ceremony Health. You can go to CeremonyHealth.org to find the donation link and help more people have access to psychedelic medicine in a sustainable way. Today's show is produced in conjunction with Cheryl Franzel, Terry Gilby, Greg Archer, Shannon Hudson, and Kelly McKay. Our theme music is by Nico Holloman. You can find all of our podcasts on your favorite podcast player, as well as at Esalen.org. The Esalen Institute is a nonprofit organization. Our show is made possible by your contributions.